Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina in New Zealand, good morning to you all. It's a busy review day, I think. It's fair to say after a great weekend of sport, particularly uh, from uh, New Zealand and uh, the rugby was fantastic to look at. Uh, Ryan Fox's performance, uh, unbelievable. Lydia Coe just falling short again, but uh, her ranking rising again in the world of golf. Um, and, uh, of course, it was um, watching, as we speak now, the White Ferns are trying to chase down 99 runs to win uh, the third T20 match against the West Indies at the moment. They're battling at 58 for five, so we'll keep you updated with that throughout the morning. Yes, David Long will be with us um, very shortly to talk about uh, the rally. He's uh, written a number of very good articles over the weekend, if you've been following it. Um, some uh, good response about the rally and uh, some, <coughs> some I'll say, a check it, I suppose, as well. It's fair to say there's uh, some of the drivers who weren't happy with a couple of the stages. Uh, we'll talk to David about that. Uh, we'll talk to... Um, uh, after uh, 10 o'clock, Ricardo Ball, yeah, that's what we'll do after 10 o'clock. We'll talk to Ricardo about uh, football because uh, he'll probably be feeling a bit glum. His Man U United uh, side uh, conceded six goals against Man City. That won't be a good chat, that one. Uh, the panel with uh, Jamie Wall and Sam Ackerman. Um, and then uh, Vossi, of course, with his review of uh, that match yesterday or last night. And the season and all uh, of the NRL now that it's uh, finished for 2022 and what a match it was simply amazing sport is our religion and here is smithy's sermon well i'm not a league aficionado i was completely unbiased going into last night and i've never really associated the word clinical with rugby league to be honest i don't know why i should have and i do today because that's what the penrith panthers promised and that's exactly what they delivered. 70 minutes of it anyway. So good it completely shut out any hope or joy that the optimistic yellow and blue army came with last night. The Eels were shut out, shut down, out-tackled, out-thought, out-everything really. It was almost a thing of beauty for true league fans. When the great Peter Sterling says uh, pre-game that the atmosphere and the occasion was the best he can ever remember at a sports ground, you have to believe him. I mean, it's Sterlow after all. Both sets of fans should be applauded because they were so tribal. We've had people in this, on this very show saying that what we need in this country to get fans back to rugby is tribalism. Showing your true colours, dressing up in your club's colours and letting rip. I'm sorry, but they'll never get it back. Anything like that level we saw last night. 
The level the NRL provides week after week puts our lot to shame. Honestly, Waikato and Bay of Plenty yesterday, their neighbours put on a classic show in Hamilton. If the ground was 20% full, I'd be amazed, if not duped. It deserved so much more. I can't remember many penalties last night in the league. The first passage of play lasted 6 minutes and 39 seconds, uninterrupted, and it started the game just in an amazing fashion. Apart from the odd captain's challenge, the bunker was only a silent contributor. Compare that to any game of rugby you saw over the weekend, well, you just can't. Ball and play value for money, you can't compare that either. We're into the playoffs of the NPC this weekend, in case you weren't aware. There might be one close to you. Will you go? Will you dress up? Will you have a great time? Will it make you want to go back? I think we already know the answer to that, don't we? Uh, the Rally of New Zealand has come and gone now with the Finland's Kale Rovanperä making history on our roads while Hayden Padden once again showed his class in his return. Ten years in the making, it was a great moment for motorsport in New Zealand, but as soon as it was here, it was gone again with question marks around its potential return. On the line to talk about it now is uh, David Long, senior sports writer for Stuff, who's been covering the action throughout Rally New Zealand over the last uh, four or five days. David, good morning to you. Yeah, hi there, Smithy. How you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, New Zealand provided the backdrop for a great moment in uh, World Rally history with uh, Finland's Kale Robin Pera becoming the youngest ever, the youngest ever World Rally champion. He only turned 22 Saturday night, David. What a performance. It was. He, used to look, he, he, looked, he is 22, but he looks about 15. That's the, the funny thing about Kale. He's, he looks so young. Um, it was it was an unusual rally. I think um, you know because of the weather had such an impact on it. And I think if the weather wasn't like it was, then I don't think Carlo Wilbenpara would have won it because um, because of the rain on Friday meant that he didn't spend that first day cleaning the roads for the others. He, as he's a championship leader, his responsibility is to be the first car on the road and go over the gravel, which always makes it tough. But because of the rain, it compacts the gravel and the, and the earth, which made it a lot easier for him. And he did a great job just being down by 10 seconds on that first day. And then on the Saturday, he made his big charge. And then Sunday, it was just about um, keeping the car on the road. And, um, you know, he shows what an incredible talent he is. And I think we're going to see someone who's going to dominate this sport, um, you know, in a similar way to Sebastian Auger, who, who's won the title eight, eight times. Well, he's been amazing this, uh, this rally season. That's his fifth title, and they've still got Spain and Japan to go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's. it's uh, I mean, he's benefited from being in a in a very good car. The Toyotas have had the edge over Hyundai all year, um, but he's just got such incredible natural talent. I think the only driver um, out there this weekend who who's sort of at his level is Wojt Tanak from Estonia, um, and he spent the whole weekend being very grumpy. He's a he's quite a moody guy anyway, but. Um, he got he copped a, a five second penalty and a ten second penalty on the Friday and Saturday for um, uh, boost infringements uh, with his hybrid car, and that sort of took him out any chance of winning it really. But um, yeah, I, I think um, you know I think we're going to we're, we're seeing Carly. Um, it, it's a, it was a chance for New Zealand motorsport fans to see someone who's you know I think going to go down as one of them. Um, one of the great motorsport drivers of, of any sort of motorsport, you know, over over the era. 
Wow, that's saying something, I've got to say. Okay, let's uh, look at, before we look at the other individual performances, David, look at uh, the overall the overall event itself. Would you class it as a success for the organisers? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was plenty of teething problems, which is which you expect when you do something that you haven't you haven't done for ten years. Um, uh, you know, Jack's Ridge was always going to be difficult to try and um, get a, get a, a stage that's completely built just for for the rally, uh, getting it done, and the infrastructure, which which although it's not far from Auckland, it's still you know it's still in the, in the countryside. So there were issues around that, and I heard issues around. Um, other sort of places where spectators were going, but uh, generally it, it was, you have to say it was a, it was a very successful rally. Um, the weather did did put a downer on it, but from you know speaking to drivers afterwards, um, they all loved it. They all thought it was a fantastic event. And speaking to, I spoke to um, Simon Larkin, who's the um, event organizer for WRC Promoter, who run it, and they were they were thrilled with how it went. They were they were very happy. Um, you know, they've got some issues that um, they, they wouldn't get sorted out um, if the rally was to come back. But I'm sure that you know, there's nothing insurmountable there that um, that would stop them wanting to come from from a logistical reason anyway of wanting to come back. Whether uh, a side was uh, was it well supported? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, it, it was really good. It was um, yeah, 50, apparently about fifteen thousand people there on the Thursday for the. Um, Super special stage for the Auckland domain, and there was a sold, sold out for 13,000 people at Jack, Jack Ridge on uh, yesterday. So you know it's tremendous um, support from the crowds. You know, and you consider that this is on the back of um, a sold out um, supercars round in Pukekohe just just two or three weeks before. It just, I guess, it really shows you how much appetite and how popular motorsport is in New Zealand at the moment. You know, and I just said you're talking about um, you know crowds for MPC, and people have been saying you know it's tough to get spectators back after COVID, you know, but I think we've, we've seen in motorsport over the last few weeks, if you, if you do put on a good, good quality product, product that spectators will, you know, put their hands in their pockets and, and pay money because it's not cheap to go and watch supercars or WRC, but if you put on something good, then people will pay and they will come along to watch it. Okay, let's um, look at the, aside from Jack's, Jack's Ridge, which was uh, from what I've uh, reading, been reading in the, the, your articles, basically, um, uh, every other part, of, every other stage seemed uh, pretty well received. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it's interesting. I mean, I spoke to the, the story. I spoke to a few drivers before Jack's Ridge, and they they didn't like it whatsoever. Thought it was artificial and um, you know, wasn't um, didn't look like the rest of the rally. But I spoke to a few of them afterwards, and they and they um, they all were very impressed with it. But as for the other stages, they loved it. Um, you know, the, these are the sort of the roads that. Um, but most of them really love doing on fast-flowing gravel roads with um, technical bits and pits where you can you can put your foot down, um, uh, and it was perfect really for them. I think they they all really enjoyed it, and and said the weather um, it it made it more of a level playing field than it probably would have been um, otherwise for for the rally. Can we look at the performance of uh, a couple of Kiwis in particular, uh, Hayden Patton? Yeah, well, I mean Hayden was sort of in a tough position really. He was. Um, you know, being in WRC two car, um, there wasn't many other European WRC two cars come down, which is kind of category below the the main guys. Um, and the cars aren't the hybrid cars; they're old, um, they're slightly different. Um, a lot less power in the engines. 
um, he was always going to win the WRC2, and he, and he strolled it, really. It was just a matter of, um, you know, as you said, just tick, um, going through the stages, ticking them off, and, and staying on, in the middle of the road. Um, he didn't really have any competition, but it, it, he did show how much potential, well, not potential, how, how talented he still is. You know, the fact that he was, he, he finished ahead of uh, Lorenzo Bertelli, who was driving a WRC1 car, the M Sport uh, Ford, um, to beat him, it just shows what you know. Just how good Hayden is to beat, beat someone in a car with far more power than he's got. Um, you know, and, I, and hopefully that does um, lead to some more interest in Hayden in terms of trying, trying to get some more WRC one drive next year. But um, mm. but Hayden didn't put a foot wrong, and he was the perfect ambassador for the rally as well. You know, you want someone who's was a good talker and you know, a nice guy and a good sort of figurehead to sort of promote the event, and he did that perfectly throughout the weekend. Shane Van Gisbergen going from car to car and then back again. Now he's got to go back again to Bathurst. Yeah, he'd have to get used to being in the car on his own again after after this week. He, he, you know, again, it was fantastic from Shane. He, he had one incident, I think, early on, I think Friday, where he lost a front bumper from his car. But otherwise, it was, it was a superb drive for him, and... Um, he did really well. He, you know, he showed that you put him in, a, in any any car, he, he'll do a good job. He was he learnt a lot, I think, during the during the rally, and it was interesting to see him and his co-driver sort of, um, you know, have a chat, sort of debrief after each stage about what he did right and what he did wrong, and, and that. But he, he thoroughly loved the experience. Um, he wants to do more New Zealand rallies next year. Um, it, you know, it's not going to happen. But if he was to think, you know, I've had enough of supercars, I want to. I want to go full time in WRC. You know, he's certainly got the talent to, to be up there with the with the best in the world. And if he wanted wanted to carry it. So, what are the chances of uh, the likes of, of those two Kiwis getting Rally One cars? Being uh, would there be interest in them? Uh, you know, it's always uh, at home, I guess they get the profile. But overseas, would they would there be interest in them um, in terms of competing in the World Rally Championship full time? Well, um, no. I think for Shane, it would um, involve someone um, an awful lot of money to buy a seat or to buy, you know, to buy um, with, with Lorenzo Bertelli, who's the son of the, um, the heir for Prada. Um, you know, he, he bought that seat, he paid a hell of a lot of money for it, and he showed that he, he really wasn't up to it level. But, you know, in motorsport, money, you know, money talks. So, um, that, and I don't, I don't think anyone would want to sort of give him a risk of a WRC1 car for a round in Europe. Possibly in New Zealand, if if it was if, if it was to come back again, someone might because you're going to get an awful lot of publicity for your brand if you if you did do that. Um, but you know they are they are expensive to, to to bring a W to have a WRC one car in New Zealand. With Hayden, it was um, you know there was always the talk that he tried really hard to get in a Hyundai WRC one car for this year. Um, who know a bit behind the eight ball in, in getting together these new hybrid um, WRC cars, so they wasn't able to provide him with one. Unfortunately, um, I understand that they there was the possibility for him to drive um, Bertelli's car, the uh, a Ford Puma, but because of Hayden's relationship with Hyundai New Zealand, um, it would have been a bad look for him to um, you know to drive a, a Ford, not a Hyundai, around his local rally. He did try and drive a, a Ford a couple of years ago in WRC1, but um, there's a difference between doing that in um, Finland or Britain than doing it here in New Zealand where he's going to 
he's going to have all the profile. So Hayden did say um, he is looking to do one, two, or three. Hopefully, um, WRC one, um, or WRC one car for a couple, you know, two or three rounds next year. That'd be fantastic if he did. And I'm sure the bosses at Hyundai would have seen how well he is still. Um, he can still go in rallies and mix it with the top guys. When I when I spoke to Hayden the other day, and I said, "That said, you know, how do you how do you sort of feel about this? You know, being way too good for everyone else at WRC two, but not not having the pace for a power for WRC one." He, he you know he felt even without seat time, he would have been his finished top five in the rally. He wouldn't be able to match it with the likes of Roman Para or Wojt Tanak. But I definitely think he's he's still got the ability to be up there with the, the guys like. Um, Thierry Newbell or Chris Breen or the other sort of drivers were just not quite at that, that level of Roman Power and Tanak. David, you mentioned it was uh, very well supported in terms of the public as such. So uh, financially, how would it stack up as an event then? Uh, so I was hearing talk before the rally that it probably might run at a loss. Um, even with the support, because just because it costs so much money to put these things on and doing it for the first time, there's all that. I guess there's a lot of you know one-off costs that you've got to you've got to pay up front, what you've got to you've got to outlay for, um, and because of that, and I think they had issues around some of the roads, an awful lot of issues trying to get approval to go on some of the roads, which, which added up to more costs. So I don't know how it all would up at the end, but it wouldn't surprise me if it does make a small loss this time. Um, and while I, I guess organisers can cop a loss for one year, um, you know, it does sort of, you look at the future of the event, that's not something that they wanted, would want to do in a, on a permanent basis. I understand it was, um, you know, it's, been, well, it's out there that it's not going to be a rally next year, but, and mm. they're now looking at 2024 for New Zealand um, and alternating, um, having it every other year in New Zealand, which is something... Um, which, when I spoke to WRC, they, they're not so keen on that, on alternating at venues, but um, I think they've sort of come around to that. And I understand it's more Rally New Zealand's suggestion to alternate rather than something that's come from the WRC. Maybe it's just the cost of, um, the, um, of doing everything uh, every year is too much for, for them to bear, and um, every other year um, there'll be more you know, more uh, easier to accommodate. But I think the key factor in any of this is that from now on, it's going to need government money to get behind it, to support it. Um, Auckland Unlimited, um, which is the Arm Auckland Council, they paid $1.75 million for the rallies to come um, this time. But that was, I think, that was a deal negotiated when it was originally going to be in 2020. Um, but they reckon they make about $3.3 million it brings into the Auckland economy um, with the rally. Um, so you know, it does. I guess it does add up from that. But WRC, they're now looking at significantly more money for if they want to bring the rally back in 2024. And from what I'm hearing, Auckland Unlimited wouldn't be able to pay much more than than what they're paying at the moment. They're already pretty pretty broke, really, um, in terms of their funding. So um, it, it, it's all going to come down to the New Zealand government and how much money they're willing, or if they're willing at all, to, to contribute anything towards bringing the rally back to New Zealand. David, you wear many hats when you uh, write about sport in this country. Um, are you um, going to be all over the uh, Rugby Women's World Cup? I noticed, uh, noticed you uh, were there the other night. I just uh, Now, of course, we can say that it starts this week. Uh, you know, it, it's rolled round on us and it, it's hit us right between the eyes. It actually starts this week. So, 
Uh, are you involved in that? And what do you think New Zealand's no. chances are? Well, I'm not going to be that involved. No, I'm off to actually off to Bathurst tomorrow for the for the for the week there, and then there's the Rugby League World Cup, um, which I think has been a bit forgotten about. Um, mm. I, understandably so, because of you know, the women's Rugby World Cup's coming on, and there's been plenty of other stuff. But I'll sort of be covering that from afar, but um, maybe just dipping in and out of the of the women's World Cup. In in terms of how I think it might go, I think um, I think it's hard for anybody to sort of to see past England winning it. Um, They've just been so dominant, haven't they? They won 26 tests in a row. You know, um, if you don't see, it's just very rare to see in any sort of, you know, sport, international sport, to see someone dominate like that. Um, you, you see with the, with the Blackburns how they have improved. You know, Japan beating Japan like they did. That's going to be it's, it's a it's a big difference between playing Japan and playing the likes of England and France. Um, and you know, it was such a terrible tour that they had last year um it, you just want i think it's going to be interesting to see how much improvement there there has been in that team under Wayne Smith since since that time because yeah they did well against australia, australia didn't they and, and had some good wins there but australia you know again they're not they don't seem to be at the same level as, as england and france either so i don't know how much of a, a gauge that was either really David, uh, David Long thank you very much uh, for your uh, analysis there of uh, the rally of new zealand um, and uh, the <coughs> the review too um, overall uh, chances of getting it back, which of course is uh, very important. Enjoy Bathurst. Very jealous. Uh, have a great time over <laughs> there, David. Yeah, thanks very much. Cheers. All the best. Cheers. Yeah, cheers, uh, David Long there with his uh, coverage of uh, Rally of New Zealand. Of course, won by this uh, young superstar, twenty-two-year-old uh, Calais Robin Piera. Uh, a name that you can uh, mark down from Finland. Uh, just uh, those Scandinavian di- drivers have always been fantastic when it comes to rally, but this guy, they say, is uh, going to dominate the sport for the next 10 years. He's that damn good. 22 years of age. He was 21 when the rally started, believe that or not. 9.24 here on SENZ. The voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ryan, your second win of the season has come at this iconic venue in a marquee championship with your mum and dad watching. What does this mean to you? Uh, it means a lot. To be honest, the only person I can really think of at the moment is Warney. Um, yeah, he's, he meant a lot to me in this event and uh, was a great mate and it's a, yeah, it's a terrible shame he's not here, but um, yeah, I'm going to enjoy celebrating this one with the family. Did you feel his presence out there? You said you hoped he was with you? Yeah, there was definitely some luck out there. Um, yeah, I, obviously I was pretty nervy the last three holes. I didn't hit very good shots, to be honest, down 16, 17, 18. But, um, yeah, he was he was definitely helping out. That putt on 15, you know, that, the tee shot on 16 could have quite easily kept going and it stayed in. And, um, yeah, he's just he was definitely out there with me today. Yep, Ryan Fox uh, paying uh, tribute to uh, his family, uh, Grant and Adele, of course, uh, who have uh, travelled over there and uh, timed it exactly right, haven't they? Um, of course, uh, and Annika, his wife, uh, is, so they, they were all there behind the 18th green to celebrate with him, which was great news um, for the Fox family. Um, certainly gets a big fat check because of it, um, but that would be secondary to him because uh, I don't think that's too much of an issue for him anymore anyway, but the fact of the matter is uh, he has won a very, very prestigious event. Now, uh, I heard tell that um, perhaps that would move him up into the top 30 in the world golf rankings, the top 30 which means, of course, he's straight into Augusta, 
straight in towards some of the major events around the other major events around the world who get invites to everything with a ranking that high. So terrific news, absolutely terrific news for Ryan Fox. And of course, he uh, along along with Shane Warne finished second in the teams event last year. Um, and uh, they would have absolutely had that on their map for Warren and uh, him to be uh, alongside each other again this time round. But uh, as he said, not to be. Shane Warren uh, may have been watching from upstairs. We certainly hope so. Let's hope uh, he enjoyed it if he was. It is uh, 9.32 here on SENZ. Uh, time for our first update of the morning in our show with Araha. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Yep, that's the number. 0800 150 811. Love to hear from you on any number of subjects. Uh, Neville from Dunedin, love to hear from you about Ryan Fox's performance. Lydia Co just uh, falling a little bit short, uh, but still another terrific performance from her. Um, anyone like to call about the, the NRL Grand Final? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I didn't back any team. I didn't have any allegiance to either side. I just loved it as a spectacle. And uh, that was on and off the park as well, just by the by. It was fantastic. Uh, and then, of course, the NPC. What do you make of uh, sides like Northland getting through to the playoffs? What a, an achievement for them. Um, and how do you think they'll go this weekend if uh, you're interested in rugby union? Um, but in the meantime... Logan, you got something for us? I do, Smithy. Uh, just having David Long there talking about the Rugby League World Cup. Of course, that is coming up. The Kiwis have just announced the squad that will travel. Uh, and six grand finalists have been included in, in that, including James Fisher-Harris, Moses Leota, Scott Sorensen from the Panthers, and then on the Eels side of things, you got Dylan Brown, Isaiah Papali'i, and Murata Niakora. The rest of the squad, Smithy. Uh, out of the Melbourne Storm, you got Nelson Osofa Solomona, Jesse Bromwich, Kenny Bromwich. Uh, and then uh, you've also got, you know, I've already mentioned those guys, Kieran Foran is back, Peter Hicku, Jerome Hughes, also from the Storm, Sebastian Chris from the Canberra Raiders making a debut there. Awesome for him. Isaac Liu from the Titans, Joey Manu from the Roosters. Jeremy Marshall King also uh, set to make a debut there out of the Bulldogs. Ronaldo Mulatalo from the Sharks. Charles Nickel Clockstad from the Raiders. Of course, now he's going to be a warrior. Uh, he will don the black jersey again. Britton Nikora also from the Sharks. Marata Nikora from the Eels. Papali'i. Jordan Rapana from the Raiders. Scott Sorensen. He's also going to set to make a debut there. Awesome for him after winning the grand final there with Penrith. Joey Tapani from the Raiders. Heard a lot of big things about him this year, Smithy, so he's a big name. Jared Waiwera Hargraves from the Roosters. Question marks about whether he would get in, of course, uh, with his band, but he will be there. And then the sole warrior in the squad, Dylan Watini Zalesniak. Okay, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll name that side again throughout the morning. So uh, that's something else you could comment on on uh, 0800 150 811. People saying that uh, that is a very strong squad already, um, Logan, and um, amongst the favourites for the tournament. 
A lot of people are saying that. It puts me on edge, Smithy, because, I mean, Australia just don't play. They don't play international footy. And we haven't seen Malmeninga's side yet. I know we'll, we'll talk to Vossi about that later, about who potentially could be in, who's played their way in. But I just, yeah, I, I'm a little on edge about everyone calling the Kiwis the favourites here for some reason. Okay, right. Uh, we'll take your calls now on 0800 150 and Cliff from Dunedin, I thought you might call in and uh, let's uh, celebrate to Ryan Fox this morning, shall we, Cliff? That's the thing, yeah, Foxy. What a, what a, what a brave effort through there. That was a tough battle, that, that four rounds. That was a horrendously windy day, the second round. And he hung in there and then he made a move. Then he battled away on the last day and, and did the business. And, yeah, like, he's, he's got himself in, in a good ranking now. If he holds that there... He's going to feature in the, all the WGC tournaments. He'll get an invitation to pretty much anything he wants to play in now. So he's in a, he's in a position now where at, at a good age, he can really make some good money in the PGA. If he can get in there and get his drive going nice and straight, he's a, he's a, he's a number. He's a number to take some good, some good tournaments, on the, even on the US tour. Was, uh, very, I watched that, actually. I, I watched a lot of it, uh, Cliffy, I, I, I've got to say, um, and I was absolutely um, I was thrilled for him. Um, I don't know him that well, but I've met him, uh, and he's a terrific young man. He's been a great ambassador. Second win this year on the DP Tour, so, you know, it was no fluke. Uh, it just seems now that he's got this belief uh, where he can be part of it. He can be part of it any time that he uh, appears that he, he wants to be part of it now. Of course, he had an injury, uh, was it socially? He had uh, an issue with a barbecue or something, and and he was uh, he was unable to to play for a couple of weeks, and then uh, he came back and played last week. It wasn't so good, but honestly, uh, that is a hell. Of, and it's amazing when tournaments or golf courses just seem to fit the eye of people, Cliff, isn't it? And you know he's played well in the Dunhill before with uh, Shane Warne, of course, but it, it just seems it was like fate, really. Well, he played had to play the three courses, the Kings course, the old course, and uh, Canusti. So, I mean, they're all links, but they're all a wee bit different. I mean, a lot of them have got the burns. They, they do make it a bit tougher for him to play a, play the big drives because, you know, you go through where he does, he can end up in the burn, things like that. But, he, yeah, you know, he played well. I, I watched the league last night. I, 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 I didn't last the last 15 minutes or so. I, I knew that they had it. We They... That fullback of the Penrith, what a great player! You know, he made an yep. amazing, great t- cover tackle, and just when when Parramatta were getting something going, and took the took stop that try, and then um, he, he was good on attack as well. But yeah, Penrith just just motored away at the start of that game, and you know, twenty points up or something at half time, and uh, yeah, let a couple of late ones in, but yeah. It, they're well, well coached, well led by his the son, son of the master, and uh, it, it was good. It was it was good to to see a, a team who deserved to win play well and win. That was good for me. Cliff, always uh, enjoy your calls. Thank you, and I enjoy your appreciation uh, for the golf as well. So, thanks so much uh, for calling in this morning. Got a couple of texts that have uh, come in. Uh, first of all, team, has anyone checked on Ricardo? Uh, not a great weekend if, if you're a Man U and Para fan. Up the Panthers, that's from Chris. Well, we'll be checking in with Ricardo 
after uh, 10 o'clock, actually. Chris, hopefully you'll answer the phone. But uh, conceding six goals, uh, nine-goal bonanza, uh, the Manchester derby. But in all honesty, conceding six of them to Man City, they won't be too chuffed about that. Carla's come in with an interesting observation, which I never really considered, but uh, you're spot on. How stupid is it with the NPC playoffs that for the first week teams play a team from their own pool that they played again during the season? The pool should have crossed over. Any thoughts on that? Totally agree. I would have thought... I, actually, when I was thinking about that, I, I didn't even notice it. I, and I, logically, I would have just thought you would play someone from the other conference. If you were qualified in the odds conference, you would uh, play someone in the evens conference. Um, but obviously, uh, not the case. So um, I'll have their reasons for doing it, but I would have thought... Uh, but uh, that would have been uh, interesting, just looking at those playoffs, actually. Um, so the Battle of the Bridge, version 2, this year will be uh, on Friday night. North Harbour will host that against Auckland. That's a 7.05 kickoff. Then uh, we'll have a repeat of the successful Shield Challenge for Wellington, of course, now the holders. Um, they're playing Hawke's Bay on Saturday at 2.05. Uh, a little later on on Saturday, Canterbury playing Northland at 4.35. And then on Sunday at 2.05 at Waikato, host Bay of Plenty in a rematch. Yes, a rematch from yesterday. So you're right, Carl. It does seem a bit stupid when you put it that way. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Um, when we come back, um, we shall uh, have uh, some more calls or we'll move on to some other topics. Uh, it is 9.42. Sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Smithy's Cricket Update, thanks to Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand. Well, we've uh, promised to keep you up to date uh, with the uh, New Zealand uh, White Ferns against the West Indies women, of course. Well, uh, the White Ferns have got up in a very low-scoring match. Uh, The West Indies were restricted to 93 for 9 in their 20 overs. And from New Zealand's point of view, Fran Jonas, who's having a heck of a tour, young uh, spinner, uh, she took three for 16 from her four overs. Uh, so that was an outstanding performance. And also young Eden Carson, who was um, out of the Otago unit that is coached by Craig Cumming, two for 14 from her four overs. So two young spinners to the fore there from uh, New Zealand's point of view. Then chasing, uh, the New Zealand women were in all sorts. They were four for 20, including uh, Devine for three, Bates for two, Plummer for 12, and Kerr for a duck. So uh, they were in all sorts there, and they were restored by uh, a partnership between uh, Lauren Down and uh, Maddie Green, which was uh, worth uh, 38 runs, so that got them uh, sort of back on track again. And uh, after Lauren Down got out, uh, Hayley Jensen came out, but it was the Maddie Green show, 49 uh, from 45 balls, six boundaries, and she got uh, New Zealand home basically for, uh, to 94 for five and 18.4 overs. So they won with uh, eight balls to spare and they lead that series 2-1. So uh, that is our cricket update uh, with Razine for this Monday morning. Right, uh, shall we go to Scott first? We'll go to Scott from Wellington. Morning to you, Scott. Morning, Smithy. How are you going? Oh, I'm good. I, I had a bit of a late night, I've got to say, but I don't regret it for a second. I loved the league and absolutely loved watching Foxy win. Oh, it's, it's, it's good to see New Zealanders doing well, and and I'm not a huge golf fan, but um, you know it is it is nice to see them up there and doing well. And as you said, obviously getting into the top 30 now, which is um, pretty impressive for for someone from New Zealand. Um, 
But obviously the same with the, the league staying up watching that. And um, as one of your texts said, I feel sorry for Ricardo in, in the space of a few hours. Uh, his, his whole world came crashing down. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I, I think the Panthers, they, they definitely deserve to win it. Um, I think you could see from the start, Penrith looks so calm and composed, whereas Parramatta just, they came out, they seemed like they were a bit overexcited. Um, even at half time, obviously Penrith, obviously 18 no up, but you know, just so relaxed in the dressing rooms. We um, the Eels just they just couldn't, they just looked like they couldn't sit still. Um, so they might have just been a bit too too hyped up for that game. But um, obviously, good to see the the best team of the season obviously winning it. And um, it, it would have been uh, it would have been nice if my uh, my bets had come through. I just been I needed Sebo to score a try, but obviously dropping the ball over the line didn't help. And uh, that was almost five hundred dollars later, unfortunately. So. Oh, um, but disappointing, but um, you know uh, it was a good game, and um, you know well done to Penrith at the end of the day. You actually make a very good um, analysis there too. It wasn't just half time uh, where I, I thought the Parramatta were on edge. I thought before the game there was just a. I don't mind hype, and I don't mind you know uh, sides being um, you know keyed up for the big occasion, but within reason. And I think that's a good observation because I noticed before the game, boy, were they up. They were probably so far um, up um, that they had to go in one, only in one direction, which was down. And, of course, uh, when they couldn't do anything in the first 10, 12 minutes, um, and then, of course, the, the Panthers' class came through, you just kind of wondered whether they were going to go from there, Scott. So uh, a really good point you made there. And uh, I'm sorry about your bet, 500. Uh, play, stumps, play Stump Smithy and get it back, mate. Play Stump Smithy and get it back around 11.30. Uh, Brucey from Christchurch. Good day, Bruce. Morning, Bruce. Smithy, hi. How are you? Oh, get it. How are you, mate? Nice. Uh, yeah. What did, what did you make of uh, sport overnight or over the weekend? Uh, didn't I didn't watch the uh, NRL final. I had to a bit of it. Um, hey, look, Ryan Fox. I'm absolutely thrilled for him. He uh, he he seems to have. Um, once COVID got sorted out and he got back to his bases and his, some more stability, he, he's improved two or three really important things. And it's hugely helpful having a long, long drive off the tee. If you can hit your drive massively like he does and reasonably down the middle, you know, it opens up huge advantage. He's worked on lots of things. But another thing I noticed with Kiwis, we play a lot of golf in the wind. When do we ever go out and around the golf and it's not bloody windy? Mm. I've always thought we've had an advantage um, in the wind when we're playing against other players. And in saying he drops, he, he rises to 30 in the world, I don't know if he'd want to play in the PGA full-time. He's sitting in Europe. He can pick what he wants. Um, the different style of courses over there are a lot closer than New Zealand courses. He can play what he wants. He probably doesn't have the very elite players over there like in America. So it's a bit of an advantage to him as well. So that's the way I see it. And he'll, he'll play in America when he wants to, I think. But um, long may it continue. And um, always been a fan of his. And, you know, looking forward to getting some more uh, more trophies in the future. Um, along with uh, that other fellow I mentioned last week, young Hillier. So... 
Bring it on, golf's in great shape. Lydia Ko uh, just missing out to to uh, which was unfortunately uh, by two shots, but uh, very popular win too for Charlie Hull out of England, a terrific golfer, and uh, has been around for quite some time. Even though you look at some of these uh, young ladies playing, and you think, my God, they're only in their late teens, early twenties. Uh, some of them have forged such great careers at such a young age, and Lydia Ko is the top of that tree as well. Uh, Bruce, thanks very much for your call, and thanks to everyone that did call. Um, we'll uh, take a short break. When we come back, we'll have a multi to start the week off. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, there's uh, not a lot on uh, today after such a busy weekend of uh, rugby and rugby league, etc., golf. Uh, but uh, the Buccaneers do play the Kansas City Chiefs. That's a huge game in the NFL this afternoon. Uh, and I'll take Brady and the Bucks um, to beat Mahomes and the Chiefs at a dollar eighty. So uh, that's um, one of my uh, NFL bets. I've also got the 49ers to beat the Rams. That's tomorrow. So we'll have to be a bit patient to, to grab the money there. But the 49ers to beat the Rams, that's a very close market as well. Uh, and in women's tennis, uh, Elena Rybakina to beat Madison Keys at $1.63. So the Bucks into the 49ers into Rybakina in the tennis, uh, and that'll round out at $5.19. And on the subject of a successful bet, how about you? Good on you, Hugh, boy. Great work, Foxy. I usually put something on them in the big tournaments, and today it paid off $50.00. At 61s. $50 at 61s. That is a brilliant bet and a great, re- a great reward for being faithful to a great bloke. Outstanding performance, Hugh. Um, you're our MVP for the morning so far in the first hour, no doubt about it. Uh, we're coming up to 10 o'clock uh, with Araha, and when we come back after that, uh, we'll try and see if Ra- Ricardo Ball is capable of talking to us about the football over the weekend. Let's hope so. Fourteen seventy-six AM in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. This mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, we're talking uh, English Premier League football now, uh, in particular, and the Manchester derby has completed its one hundred and eighty-seventh meeting of the two rivals, City and United, with uh, striker Erling Haaland continuing to find the back of the net for his third hat-trick of the season en route to a 6-3 Man City win. It's a busy weekend in the NPL, so there's always plenty to discuss. And joining us now uh, in that respect is uh, our very own pundit and uh, obviously uh, one of our very close brothers on uh, the station, Ricardo Ball. Um, and Ricardo, uh, a noted Manchester United supporter, uh, I've got to say, um, 6-3, that's conceding a lot of goals, my friend. Yeah, you're not wrong, Smithy. You're not wrong. Um, I mean, you know, you mentioned it. It's Harlan's, uh, was it his third hat trick? Um, he's broken Michael Owen's record for the fastest of three hat tricks in, in Premier League history. He's got, what, uh, 14 goals in eight games, um, which is, uh, yeah, is astounding, really, when you think about it. He's got 17 goals in 11 games across all competitions. He's just, uh, absolutely uh, bossing the Premier League at the moment, um, and yeah, I mean it's hard to see how to stop him. I said to you 
uh, last week when we had uh, Mark Rosanowski on, who's a City fan, that, you know, the one thing, uh, you know, you, from a United point of view, you hoped for was that when Ten Hag was in charge of Ajax last season, they played um, Haaland's Dortmund and managed to keep him scoreless over the two games. And you know, thought maybe that there was a way that Ten Hag had with Martinez to, to shackle him. But I think the problem is I mean, you've got Foden and you've got Grealish and you've got uh, De Bruyne. Those are pieces that maybe Dortmund didn't have and that they've just got so many ways of hurting you, Manchester City. And it's just uh, impossible to plug all the gaps uh, today at the Etihad. So tell us about this this fellow, this Erling Haaland, please, because uh, hat-tricks now against the Man U, Crystal Palace and Notts Forest, uh, to his name, the first to do so in three successive home matches. Um, you mentioned, um, I think, in between seasons that he was a good signing. Do you, did you expect it would be uh, having this sort of impact initially? No, I didn't. Uh, and, I, and the reason, I mean, he's a very, very good player. I think he will go on to be, you know, talked about in the same uh, breath as, as the, the Ronaldo's of this world type thing, and, you know, as his career goes on, he will achieve a lot in his career. But I thought because of the way Manchester City have played for so long under Pep Guardiola, they haven't really, I mean, since Sergio Aguero had an out-and-out nine, and even with Sergio Aguero there, Pep didn't play him all the time. He liked to play with false nines and they liked to play a different way. So I thought it might take uh, some time for them to integrate him. I mean, as an example of what I mean, Jack Grealish, um, who had started this season really, really well, he was their big signing last season, and he didn't play very much. And he found, I think they found it hard to integrate him into the system. And I thought there might be an element of that at City this season with Haaland, where they, they'd have to change the style of play to an extent uh, to, to be able to bring him in and get the best out of him. But um, I think there have been some teething issues. I think there have been... Uh, games where they could have scored more, which is probably frightening enough. Um, but, yeah, I think they're clicking now. De Bruyne and Haaland seem to almost have some sort of telepathic understanding. Uh, they're going really well. And then you can set a Phil Foden as well, who nobody's really talking about, who scored a hat-trick today as well, the young English kid mm. uh, out of Stockport who's, who's come through their ranks. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you're looking at This is a Manchester United side that have beaten Liverpool and Arsenal in the last month. Um, so for them to concede six... Manchester City sort of shows how far ahead I think City are of the rest of the league, even if they aren't quite top of the league just at the moment. Eric Ten Hag's uh, relationship with Cristiano Ronaldo is something we seem to talk about every time we have a chat. Um, mm. Obviously, it's uh, not going to flash. No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't think there's any secret that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo wanted out. He wanted to go play Champions League football um, because he has his eye on his legacy and his record of Champions League goals, and he's aware that his old mate Lionel Messi is still running around in that competition and doesn't want to concede, uh, you know, the being the all-time leader of uh, goal scoring in, in the Champions League. And so, yeah, he's been wanting to, to get out. Um, I mean, I think it just says a lot about where he is in his career at 37, that United couldn't find a Champions League club to take him. Um, there was, you know, he was offered to all the Italian clubs. Apparently, Napoli showed some interest, uh, but they wanted uh, some deal that would see United end up still paying most of his wages, so United didn't go for that. Um, Bayern Munich didn't want him. Paris Saint-Germain didn't want him. Uh, you know, I think Chelsea may have wanted him. Uh, the, the owner wanted him, but the coach, Tuchel, didn't, so that didn't happen either. So, yeah, he's in limbo at the moment. And he's not first choice. And, you know, we saw Anthony Martial, uh, who had a really good preseason, but then got injured. He's just come back to fitness. 
he was on the bench with Cristiano Ronaldo and that they opted for him over Cristiano Ronaldo to come off the bench. Um, Ted Hag has said afterwards that that was out of respect to Ronaldo. He didn't want to put him on in a game where the team were down as far down as they were. But I think uh, there's something else going on there. I wouldn't be surprised if after the World Cup, Cristiano Ronaldo ends up in Saudi Arabia where he's had a few big offers. Arsenal continue uh, to be at uh, the top of the table. Uh, they had 65% of the possession against Spurs and uh, Julie converted that into a 3-1 win with the Spurs losing a player down to 10. Uh, but uh, having said that, what has been the difference for Arsenal in the start to this season compared to last year? Well, I think Gabriel Jesus has been a massive uh, part of that. Um, you know, he was a, a bit of a could start, could not start week in, week out at City. He really is a number nine down the middle, but at City he was playing as a wide forward. And um, you know, I think Arsenal, you know, they had Lacazette, um, who didn't maybe do the work off the ball that, that's needed. And they didn't really have a, an out-and-out nine last season. I think he has been a massive difference, Gabriel Jesus, to, to, to City. And so I think uh, that was a, a really good piece of business. I also think Saliba at the back, who Arsenal bought three seasons ago and then just loaned them back to clubs in the French League for three seasons in a row um, because they didn't think he was ready. Well, they've brought him in and he's hit the ground running now. So I think they've, they've shored up at the back as well. Uh, they're, they're looking very good. And, you know, another player that maybe doesn't get talked about as much um, in, the, in the deal between Arsenal and City was that they also bought Zinchenko, the Ukrainian, who's often played left back for Manchester City. Uh, he, in the Ukrainian national team, plays in the midfield generally. He, he can play as a 10, he can play as an 8, um, or he can play as a left back or a wing back. So he, lots of opportunities there for him. And he's a really good ball player. He's almost uh, another playmaker. And I think uh, you know those, those additions that Arsenal have made have really, really helped them. And you know it's ironic now that they've bought these two players from City who were, I guess you would say, squad players at City. Uh, and they've improved Arsenal that much that we see Arsenal top of the league. One of the other high-scoring games of the weekend was a three-all draw between Liverpool and Brighton, uh, which sees Brighton still uh, in there on 14 points who, and uh, fourth on the ladder at the moment. Uh, what is the reason for their um, resurgence or the, the great start to the season in your mind? Well, I think they, they, you know, a lot of it's down to the great work that Graham Potter has done over the last few seasons, even though he's now at, at uh, Chelsea. Uh, he set them up really well. He's built a really good uh, squad there, and they've finally found a way to start scoring goals. I mean, Leandro Trossard, who scored the hat-trick, he's, uh, he's a Belgian international, but you know, he's not a guy that gets talked about in the same breath as a De Bruyne or whatever, but he's you know a very, very good player. He's a playmaker. He can play on the wing. He can play the 10. And, uh, you know, he scored a hat-trick against Liverpool. I mean, I'm not sure when the last away player to score a hat-trick at Anfield was, but it'll be a few mm. few years between drinks, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, I think uh, that they're, they're really solid. They're tough to break down. And I know they can see the three goals in this game, but really they should have won it. Uh, they let Liverpool back in. They were 2-0 up. And they had to score late uh, to get an equaliser. But Liverpool seem really off the, off the pace at the moment. I'm not sure what's going on there. There's something going on behind the scenes at Liverpool that, um, suggests that maybe all is not right there and uh, Klopp's got a bit of work to do. Smithy, he, when he was at Dortmund uh, and before that, when he was at Mines, there's something they, they called the seven-year itch with Klopp, whereas he gets to seven years with a team and then everything starts to fall apart. And I don't know if that's to do with you know, the message becomes too samey and, and players switch off or, or what it is, but uh, this is his seventh year 
at Liverpool and things aren't going as uh, as Liverpool fans are used to under Klopp. And yeah, I think there's a few problems behind the scenes. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that goes between now and that break for the World Cup. That's an interesting point you make uh, because, you know, a decade or so ago, even a little bit longer than that, I think it's fair to say, Ricardo, that, you know, uh, it was a time when there were lo- there was longevity in, in the management, particularly in the Premier League. If you look at Ferguson, if you look at Wenger, if you look at other candidates as well, but it's it's getting rarer, isn't it, with the, with the amount of coaching talent and the way that, that they just seems to be a revolving door around Europe. Yeah, yeah, very much. So. I mean, just this morning, the Wolves manager uh, Bruno Large they lost two 0 yesterday to West Ham. Uh, he's been let go. So, um, you know, Wolves are. There. I mean, I'm trying to remember how many that is. I think that's four or five managers already this season, and we're eight rounds in that have been let go by their by their clubs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it. It's instant gratification, I guess you would say. I mean, you know, you consider that when Ferguson, you mentioned, there came in in 1986 at United. He didn't win a trophy until 1990, and they didn't win the league mm. until 92. Um, but that was, you know, they they took their time. Uh, they had patience with them. They, they built, uh, you know, rebuilt the youth, youth teams set up at United, and they rebuilt the first team, and it took them a while to get it right, but they did in the end. But once again, it's not something they'd have had in the modern day because uh, he wouldn't have lasted. Right, uh, interesting at, at the bottom. There's a game tomorrow between Leicester and uh, Nottingham Forest, and they are the two lowest teams in the league. And it just looks uh, as if for them the writing is on the wall this far out. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, Forest, I think, uh, I don't think, I don't think either of these teams will be relegated. Um, to be honest, mm, I think there are okay. worse teams in the league than them. But I think. You know, Leicester City, uh, they, uh, the, they're running into problems. They've got a bloated squad. Um, they were trying to move players on that they couldn't move. They were trying to hold on to players that people did want. Um, we saw Fafana and then go to Chelsea for $70 million. And that meant they haven't been able to freshen up the squad. I don't think Brendan Rodgers is overly um, happy there. So that may be a change we see in the, in the near future, maybe um, in the next couple of weeks. He may cha- uh, they may change their manager there, but I think they've still got enough in that squad. You know, when you consider they've got Vardy, they've got James Madison, uh, they've got Yuri Tullemans, um, they've got you know uh, Castagna at right back. They've got guys that, that won the Premier League only a few seasons ago there, so they've got enough experience and goals in them. I think that they will get it right. Uh, they just need a little bit of time. And, and for Nottingham Forest, they came up. Uh, they're now owned by the same guy that owns Olympiacos. But when they came up, they 19 players left the club, either because contracts were up or they were on loan from Premier League teams. So they had to rebuild. They signed 21 players in the off-season smithy. And you can imagine how long it takes to get them to gel and to all be singing off the same song sheet. They've brought in some very good players. They've still got the core of the squad that got promoted of the, of the starting 11 anyway that played in the final, in the playoff final. So I think the Nottingham Forest will come right uh, so long as they, they, they stick with Steve Cooper and give them the time. I think Forrest, they've, they've bought well and they've bought smart. I think they will come right. Uh, he just needs a bit more time to get everybody gelling in that team. What an amazing story for an elite. Um, of course, uh, our goalkeeper um, for our football ferns, uh, she's been fantastic. She debuted for Aston Villa over the weekend. Saved four penalties in a shootout win over Manchester United. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, superb. I mean, she was at West Ham last season and couldn't get a game, basically. 
Um, so so left and has has taken the opportunity uh, to go to Aston Villa and, and and she's getting an opportunity there. So I you know I think Anna Leet is a player that we'll we'll see more of. I think she's a player that. Um, you know, really is now going to be uh, vying with Vicky and Erin Naylor to be the number one for the football firms with World Cup just around the corner. And, you know, she's playing at the highest level of any of those three. Vicky at Glasgow Rangers, um, playing in their women's team, and Erin Naylor's playing in Sweden. But uh, I think she's playing at the highest level. And, you know, Villa at the moment, you know, that was a cup game that they that they won on penalties. Um, but they've started the Women's Super League really well as well. But they're two from two. In that game, they're currently sitting third behind Arsenal and Manchester United in that league. So, yeah, that's uh, it's a fantastic story, and you know, just more uh, another another indication of of how much talent we do have in New Zealand football and the amount that we have now playing professionally overseas. And just uh, finally, what isn't a fantastic story uh, is the tragedy uh, in Malang in uh, Indonesia with uh, 120 plus people dying after police firing tear gas in an attempt to stop violence triggered a stampede of fans scrambling to get out. That is a horrific story. Yeah, it takes you back to the 80s, doesn't it, Smithy? Um, yeah, it does. You know, and we had, had, had those problems in Europe and in the UK, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think it's now the deadliest sports event in history, uh, they're calling it. And originally the... Uh, uh, the reports were saying that you know it was 174. I think that death toll may go up. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean there'll be. I'm sure that FIFA will be looking pretty hard at that. I mean it's the last thing that they want coming into a World Cup. You know we're only what six weeks away from everything stopping for a, for a World Cup, uh, and the world is talking about um, you know the way that the game has been placed in Indonesia. And you know I think there'll be uh, that'll be looked at pretty hard by not just FIFA but probably the Indonesian government as well. Uh, and probably some heads will roll out of that police force, you'd have to think. You'd have to think so, yep. Uh, Ricardo, always great to, to catch up. I hope um, I hope you recover well and very soon, mate. There's always another game. There's always another game. Well, we won the, the, we won the okay. second half 3-2, Smithy. We won the second half 3-2. Can I hold on to that? Okay. Yeah, hold on to that. Hold on to that, my friend. Great to, <laughs> great to, great to, great to chat, uh, mate, as always, and thanks for your update. Cheers. No worries, mate. Go well. Is uh, Ricardo Borlea with his uh, review of uh, the EPL in particular. You said Anna Lee, four penalty saves out of five. Incredible. Uh, 10.19 here. We'll have a panel very shortly. In Aotearoa, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Right, uh, panel this morning consists of uh, Jamie Wall, and Sam Ackerman, and uh, Sam Ackerman, uh, of course, uh, the NRL concluded last night, late last night, uh, Penrith uh, absolutely way too good for the Eels to go back-to-back. The 36-year drought for Parramatta continues. Sam, uh, what did you make of that dominant performance? Yeah, there's no other word for it but dominant. Uh, Smithy, good morning to you and then to Jamie. It's a, uh, it's a performance that underlines exactly what this team is. And it's ruthlessly consistent. To be able to, if if you said five years ago that you would compare the Penrith team to the most dominant um, of the Storm teams, uh, or even up, you know, the Broncos in the in their heyday, people said, "Oh, look, they've been good, but not that good." This team's got the potential to go better and further. It's terrifying for those who don't kind of follow the uh, the tabs of it. They they won virtually every competition they were in throughout the grade. So they won four uh, four of the grades all the way down to. 
um, to SG Ball. It's terrifying uh, to think that they've got these champions being bred right through, ready to go, uh, and, and, and bust out on this team. They lost four games all year, uh, and the only team that's had their number was the Eels, and we saw what they did to them in the grand final. Parra didn't offer a shot. It was um, maybe one of the least interesting grand finals of the modern era. I think you go back to 2000, was a um, was a bludger as well with the uh, the Broncos winning that one. But it, it, it was a sheer... A sheer example of what a team with the right edge you could do. You saw them score their tries. Yep, they were a little bit elated, but they were pretty much jogging back to halfway for the next crack. This is a team that was polished in that in that era and in, in this level of uh, environment with the um, grand final. They're unfazed by the atmosphere. It was it's remarkable uh, and it's terrifying to think what they can do from here. Uh, what we can take out of it, though, if you're a Warriors fan searching for some kind of positive. 18-0, 28-0 before there was the, the last couple of tries given when you know, you're thinking about lifting a premiership trophy. That defence has won them two straight premierships. Uh, the man who's behind that defence is now going to be in charge of the Warriors. Andrew Webster brings that experience of uh, knowing how to dominate a team with the defence. If the Warriors can be a quarter as good as that, uh, they're going to be in the playoff picture quite regularly. So that's promising, but what a performance. That is a hell of a good point you raise, actually. I clean forgot all about that in the uh, clinical side of things of, of what I watched last night. Jamie, I'm not sure whether you took it in or not, um, but um, it, it was, in, in terms of a, a spectacle, in terms of a contest, very one-sided. But in terms of the clinical nature of the way that league should be played, it was a lesson, I would have thought. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Sam. Uh, yeah, I certainly did uh, stay up and watch it, and... I have to say I, I agree with Sam. It's terrifying uh, what the Panthers have done. Like he said, they've, they didn't just win the grand final. They won the SG ball and the jersey flag and the New South Wales Cup as well. In fact, the only thing they didn't win was the uh, NRL women's uh, commonness because they don't have a team in it. Uh, and if they did, they'd probably win that too. Uh, the, the, the other thing um, that Sam also brought up you know, obviously one of the one of the reasons why the Panthers sort of got under everyone's skin is because of the way that they go about um, their games. They celebrate wildly after each try and everything. And, and that's what got me about last night is that they were scoring tries in a grand final and just acting like, oh, yeah, it's just another day on the job. Uh, and, and to me, that just says, like, well, we're here, we're in here for the long haul long haul this is a dynasty we've just created one we're gonna we're gonna keep going um next year uh and i saw i read something um this morning just saying like oh you know the team's sort of breaking up uh, a little bit they're losing uh, bill kickow and um and uh cameron Serraldo and then obviously andrew webster but i i really think that the, the, they're still in a position now to be attracting uh you know, talent that will will more than more than make up for for what they're losing because it's like who wouldn't want to go and be a part of that setup right now, uh, both as a coach and a player. So, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's it's a real uh, dynasty building moment um, for for this team, and uh, and well done to them. And let's just not forget that uh, the guy who's in charge of that um, and his son, who's in charge of things on the field, uh, both of the Warriors. I mean, admittedly, one was one was a ball boy, but you know that's uh, that's 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 the uh, the hard thing to 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 think about when you're when you're a Warriors fan. Uh, Jamie, um, at the weekend, uh, Roger Tuivasa-Sheck played on the wing for Auckland, which was one of the positions when he first crossed over. Um, people said let's start him out on the wing, and uh, the All Blacks have said no, 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 he's got to be uh, in the midfield. 
but Auckland found space for him on the wing, um, and he's also shot down any um, idea of a move to the Roosters. Yeah, I don't know if I believe any of the talk around um, either of those things uh, happening, actually. Um, that uh, It was a real last-minute switch by, by Auckland to put him out on the wing. Um, and, on, and what was not a great day for wingers, it was absolutely hosing down uh, all of Saturday, which is why there was about 25 people uh, at that game, um, which is another thing we can talk about a little bit later. But uh, the... The uh, the game did actually end up being a little bit better than what um, thought it would, thought it would be. Um, Auckland did mount a pretty good comeback there, but yeah, him, seeing him out on the wing there was like just another example of kind of I feel like this whole thing has been mismanaged uh, quite a bit. Like by now, he should be solidly in a position, getting getting minutes on the park all the time, um, and I think that what we're going to see is. You know, another kind of shoehorning of him into the All Blacks setup uh, on this on this tour. I, th- I feel like there's probably going to be a place for him in that test against Japan. Whether he then switches over to that All Blacks 15 so he can get some more game time, uh, I don't know. Um, and then he's made a statement saying that you know he's not going to go back to the Roosters. Well, he didn't say he, he wasn't going to go back to the NRL uh, at any stage. Like I could totally see that happening because you know, like it's a sports it's a sports contract situation. He's going to know by sort of February next year whether he's in the All Blacks' plans for the World Cup. And if he's not, well, what's the point in, in sticking around? So, yeah, I'll, I'll, all of that kind of remains to be seen. But we're going to know pretty soon what, what his future holds, what what the future holds for Roger Tui Roger Vasashek. Uh, we'll take a quick news break. Uh, when I come back, Sam, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, what you've heard about uh, a possible move. For, whether it, was it all just uh, a beat-up? But... Um, it looks like he's destined to at least uh, stay in uh, rugby union for the first half of next season anyway. 10.31 here. We'll hear from Araha and we'll be back with the boys shortly. Jamie Wall, Sam Ackerman with us this morning. And uh, Sam, I, I just wonder um, if uh, there was any real teeth to uh, the RTS story going to the Roosters. Um, and, and what do you feel about that? Look, first of all, um, you've got to understand that Roger Tuivasa-Shek isn't... I've been lucky enough to spend a fair bit of time around the guy and talk to him a lot, uh, got to understand how he operates with the Kiwis and, uh, and at the Warriors. He is not the kind of guy who's afraid of a challenge. I mean, if he was, he would never have been a warrior, would he? I mean, he, he, he had life pretty sweet at the Roosters, didn't need to go anywhere. He chose to come home, and obviously family, and I'm sure a little bit of money played a, a part of that, but he didn't need to come here. He didn't just come here. He came here and um, got improved and was crowned the best player in the entire NRL while playing for the Warriors. Let that sink in. The best player of the whole NRL are playing for the Warriors. So he's not, he won't be uh, flipping out or uh, trying to um, pull himself out of a contract. He knows, a ch- he, he knows that it's a challenge to make the All Blacks. He didn't think it was going to be a cakewalk. I don't think that, he, that you could say anything he's done has been um, unsuccessful or a failure so far. He, I, I think Jamie hit on the head. He's not really being uh, managed wonderfully as far as putting him in the right position with the right minutes and giving him game time. But he's playing right now his first NPC campaign. Last one got uh, covid out for him. But he has not had much time in rugby. He's already in the All Blacks setup limited game time who knows how well he, he fits in that environment there have been missed opportunities and I'm guessing there will continue to be missed opportunities but I think that his skill and talent can keep him uh, in that World Cup squad and we've seen in plenty of occasions that 
making a World Cup squad, you might be one of those guys who might play a couple of games. And of course, he'd want to be pulling himself in position to play in the, in the finals. But I'm sure he's also seeing himself uh, the goal of, of being there. One injury one uh, and one uh, one moment in a game can create something for someone like Roger Tuivasa-Sheck, and he's got that world experience to go on. I'm confident he can do it. As for going to the Roosters, that'll always be an option because Nick Politis will be in touch with uh, management all the time, checking out, seeing how he's going. I also did hear a bit of a rumour, though, when he was... Uh, you know, released you know, and sent off to the world that the Warriors may or may not be given first row to refusal. So I, I expect him to come back um, to rugby league unless he really kicks on and starts dominating rugby next year. Can't, can't see him given that opportunity. But I, I think I expect him to be um, seeing through his contract. And Jamie's right, if he's not going to make the World Cup, then I think he would think, OK, well, you know, that's why I came to here and I didn't achieve that goal. Well, I'll go back. But I don't know, man. I, I don't expect him to pull sticks as early as February. Okay, that's uh, good news from uh, RTS rugby fans. Uh, uh, Sam, uh, the Kiwis confirmed this morning. Um, looks very, very strong squad. Just uh, one warrior in the group in terms of uh, Dallin Wateni Zalesniak. But apart from that, uh, are you confident now? I don't mean this to sound as glib as this, but having one warrior in the team actually helps my confidence levels uh, at the moment. But there are there are two future warriors coming, and uh, uh, Nick Cora is on his way as well. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing those who are going to play for the Warriors uh, get a, a good crack and a good run. It's a predictable team. Um, they are a uh, predictable in a great way. I mean, there was no need to um, to switch things up of the ten players who are in that wider squad who missed out. Sean Johnson's obviously the, the highest profile. Uh, and I feel actually uh, Tamati Martin's utility value might be something that they could use um, in that run. And uh, a young forward like Jordan Ricky's been pointed out is you know, unlucky to miss out. But honestly, I think the calls all look right um, at this stage. And Sebastian Chris getting a, a chance to impose himself in the um, in the outfield there would be uh, interesting, given a chance. But he would really need to push hard to find himself a place um, in those uh, top starting sides. Strong squad, really happy with, uh, with what they've uh, picked. And there's a reason why the Australians are going out of their way to call the New Zealanders favourites. I know Kempe has been uh, the same as well because this is a strong squad and there's nothing to think that if they play to the game, they can't trouble every team in the comp. OK, let's uh, look forward to that. Campaign starts uh, actually against uh, Lebanon, uh, then Jamaica and then Ireland. So you wouldn't think they'd have uh, too many problems. of yeah, we're, we're all the big boys, uh, Sam. So uh, the only thing you're trying to avoid there is injury, I would imagine, to some key players. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that squad is managed throughout that. Right, uh, let's get to some rugby, Jamie Wall, and you touched on it. Um, crowds, uh, I watched uh, quite a lot of rugby in the weekend, and I've got to say, uh, watching back-to-back-to-back games of rugby uh, doesn't do much for me in terms of the lack of playing time at times and the penalties, etc., that are dished out for every little thing with three three people officiating the game, basically, and then a TMO as well. Uh, so what do we come up with uh, this weekend? We've got uh, Canterbury against Northland, North Harbour hosting Auckland, Wellington Hawks Bay and Waikato Bay are plenty, and all these sides have played each other already. Yeah, and, and Waikato and Bay are plenty played each other on the weekend, so it's just a replay of that. I can't get my head around the quarterfinal process because shouldn't they be playing across... The conferences that I've made up, they've actually finally come up with a system that people can, most people can understand, uh, and and then it doesn't work out <laughs> the way it should uh, at the business end. But you know, I, I guess we've got the better, better teams playing one another. Um, I think it's it's looking like 
a Canterbury-Wellington final, uh, which Wellington, of course, will lose because that's just what they do. Um, they've been in eight finals since they won it in 2000 and lost every single one of them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is just me talking as a as a Wellington fan. You know, I, I never want to get my, my hopes up about anything involving that team. Um, but, yeah, you, you, you talk about crowds and, and you talk about the product itself and I have to agree, it's it's just it's not a great product at the moment. The the one thing you, you used to be at least to be able to count on with the NPC is that it was a a, a more free flying uh, game because the defences were were a little bit more shaky than say Super Rugby or Test Rugby, and, and so you'd see quite a lot of decent tries. Like we have seen some some good rugby play in the NPC, there's just there's just not enough of it um, at the moment. It's just it's a hard. It's a hard watch because, you know, you're seeing a lot of players that you're not familiar with. Um, the crowds have been awful um, and it's just, it looks really bad on TV. And especially when you compare it to, and I know it's Australia and I know that they have the infrastructure and I know they obviously have the population, but you look at the last two big sporting events in Australia, you look at the AFL Grand Final and the NRL Grand Final and the two dud matches really like well done to the Panthers and well done to Geelong um, for getting out there and winning the games but they were basically over both over after 15 minutes but what you saw was these gigantic crowds that were in there for a massive match day experience and that it's something that has been completely uh, forgotten about or, or, or just ignored by the people that run rugby in this in this in this part of the part of the world is that no thought's been put into the experience you have on a match day. And I think that that's a massive uh, blight on, on, on the game itself uh, and that all of this uh, attention's been focused on the All Blacks and just what they, their whole setup and nothing else at all. And it's, and it's really coming back to bite rugby uh in the ass because the only sold out super rugby game we had all year was the final um and it was because it was in auckland and i just i just worry you know that we're going to be having basically televised club rugby sized uh crowds uh going forward it just it's it's really sad to see it's, it's gonna be uh, i'll tell you what it continues in the same vein it's gonna be like looking at heartland rugby um, with the same crowds, and, and perhaps well, that's where they need to go. It was, it, it was in Kaikoui on, on Saturday. I mean, you, you, they were playing yeah. at a club ground with, with goalposts that weren't even, that were like soccer goalposts as well. Like, how can you possibly hold a first-class domestic match with not even proper posts? So you, you can imagine mm. what the changing rooms would have looked like and all the other facilities. It's disgraceful, and it just shows just how the, the lack of attention and care that's been given to this. You know, we've had... Uh, issues with the TMO all season because um, they haven't they haven't bothered to pay enough for extra cameramen to be on uh, and, uh, on deck for that, and so therefore it's completely disrupted the integrity of the entire competition from an officiating point of view. So it just, I mean, that sort of stuff pisses me off, and because it's like, you know, you could, New Zealand could rightfully say we had the best domestic competition in the world uh, going around, and we we really can't say that anymore. Really can't. No, we can't. Um, we, we certainly can't. I'm lucky enough to remember when we did. Um, but the modern generation will never know it. It'll just be uh, consigned to the history books, I feel, anyway. Um, Sam, uh, great news for Ryan Fox uh, overnight, uh, winning a tournament. He's always been pretty handy at, actually, the Alfred Dunhall Lynx Championship, played with Shane Warne last year as his amateur partner. 
dedicated uh, a bit of this to Shane Warne as well. So uh, Ryan Fox, the genuine item now, is uh, high as I think about number 26 in the world. And look, after, it might be just like six months away of all the lived affections from being two or three at the moment. Um, the the way that he plays is uh, is joyous to watch. If you like golf, there's no way you can't enjoy watching um, Ryan Fox play. He, he, he's not a guy who's uh, who's going to settle for the, uh, the the easy option. He he attacks it. He's got uh, you know he's, he's some subtlety to his play, but he just loves to go at it, and he is a joy. To watch, I and mean, you're very proud to see him uh, fly that New Zealand flag, which he flies so proudly as well. It's not something that you know a lot of golfers kind of fly their flag as part of what they're doing to make their crust. Whereas he is very, very much uh, there representing New Zealand while making a living, and that's uh, it's joy. So I love seeing him go. Uh, it is he has worked his backside off for this. Uh, you might think being the son of an All Black legend would put you in quite a um, uh, a privileged position. I'm sure it has in different points of his, to- of his career. But when he gets to when he's got onto the pro circuit and got himself to where he is, he's dragged himself up by the uh, by the bootstraps. And he could have stayed in the lower um, echelon, thinking, right, oh, I can make a, a, a halfway decent living. But tournaments like this just show that he backs himself, and he won't. He won't. Uh, if it doesn't come off, he goes, oh well, like at least I gave it a crack. It came off. He's made himself a uh, a, a wonderful whack of cash. Uh, just so, just thrilled for him, and to see uh, to see him so you know beaming like that. And I know the Shane Warne side of things has brought a little bit of touch of sadness with it, but he, um, yeah, just he is a bloke who you just want to see succeed. And there's some uh, is, we, we live in the tall poppy syndrome and world where online people love to pull someone down. I've never ever seen someone say a negative comment or what a wanker, or a, this and that about uh, Ryan Fox, ever. And that's uh, as big a compliment you can give an athlete these days. Absolutely right. Uh, Sam Ackerman, Jamie Wall, thanks so much for your contributions this morning. Some strong opinion there on the panel. We shall have uh, another one at the same time tomorrow morning. It's 10.45 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, in the latest PGA Tour event uh, in America, they're coming down to the last uh, four or five holes and Seb Strucker and Mackenzie Hughes, both uh, at 16 under. So they're joint leaders uh, fighting it out, going down the stretch. Um, and NFL action uh, today, uh, beginning actually last Friday with the Bengals beating the Dolphins 27-15. The scores today have been the Vikings to beat the Saints 28-25. Uh, Seattle Seahawks to beat the Lions 48-45, 93 points in that game, wow. Uh, the Jets 24 over the Steelers 20, the Giants uh, over the Bears uh, 20-12, the Titans beating the Colts 24-17, the Chargers beating the Texans uh, 34-24, the Falcons 23 over the Browns 20, the Cowboys 25 over the Commanders, uh, of course the uh, Washington Redskins uh, now known as the Commanders, uh, they beat them 25-10. Uh, the Eagles 29 over the Jaguars 21. Uh, the Bills 23 over the Ravens 20. And at this stage, it is 16 all between the Raiders and the Broncos uh, coming to the end of the second quarter. Um, and the Panthers are leading the Cardinals 10-3 uh, at the start of the third quarter there. So they are your NFL updates uh, as we speak. Another game this afternoon with uh, the Buccaneers uh, and the Chiefs. We'll get the betting on that actually very shortly when we talk to Mo- Paul Moati from the TAB uh, and also Louis Herman Watt. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
Paul Moati joins us from the TAB. Uh, just as Seb Strucker uh, knocked in a birdie putt on 15 to go to 17 under. Hughes at 16 under. They look as if they're possibly the two fighting it out. Higo Burmester both at 15 under. Uh, Paul Moati, there was, uh, I imagine, some money uh, won and lost on golf over the weekend. And great news for Ryan Fox. And great news for punters who actually backed Ryan, who traded at a high of $67 to win the Alfred Dunhill Lynx uh, Championship. So those who got on at 67, well done. Those who got on Ryan Fox at all, well done. He has repaid you uh, in spades. Uh, looking ahead to today, a uh, big NFL match on later on this afternoon. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Bookies um, find it hard to separate these two. $1.75 on the Bucks to win that one. $2.08 on the Chiefs. And the punters are finding it fairly difficult as well. Trading fairly even uh, over both of those teams in the head-to-head market. This is a bonus back match as well. So um, just check out the T's and C's. Uh, if you have a bet on the winning team in margin. And I can tell you once again, punters thinking this will be fairly close. Slightly more action on the Kansas City Chiefs to win by 1 to 13 at 284 than we've got on Tampa Bay to win by 1 to 13 at $2.60. Right. Uh, I imagine the boys are working furiously at the moment on the, the market for the NPC now that we've reached the quarterfinal stage, Paul. Uh, I can see probably one uh, which is uh, going to be favouring Canterbury quite heavily against Northland. It's a wonderful achievement for Northland to get to the quarters, but they've got to go to Christchurch and knock over the hot favourites. So you'd imagine that's very one-sided, but the rest of them look fairly even. Yeah, that's right. We've got Canterbury at $1.12 over Northland at five seventy-five. Now, we had a an NPC season power play at the beginning of the season, that was for either Northland or Southland to make the quarterfinals. It opened up at $21. I think it closed at around the $8 mark when the bookies uh, shut it down after two or three rounds. So those punters who took the $21 on Northland to make the quarterfinals, well done to them. Uh, the closest of the game so far that we have, North Harbour, two twenty up against Auckland at $1.67. Wellington are $1.45 up against Hawke's Bay at two eighty, who they took the shield off earlier this uh, season. And Waikato, a repeat of that um, final round regular season match, they're $1.55 up against Bay of Plenty, $2.45. Paul Moati from the TAB, as always, uh, thank you very much uh, for your contribution to our show. Um, Louis Herman Watt uh, not with us this morning but uh, we would have talked about uh, She's Lickety Split representing New Zealand very well over in Australia uh, Hugh Bowman winning the Epsom on top ranked and the Turnbull Stakes won by Smoking Romans at good money unfortunately here in Hastings the weather was average, worse than average and the Group 1 Arrowfield was uh, cancelled and she'll be run at a later date we'll advise you on those details as soon as I get them in particular it is 11 o'clock, time for Aroha. Crichton, who sprints back on the inside, and Crichton has scored the first try of the grand final. It was 12-0 in favour of the Rabbitohs, and 6 in favour of his team now. Quick hands on, Toto takes it, Toto scores. Another try for the Panthers. It's Toto in the left corner. The Panthers can smell blood again here. Cleary, Edwards, Staines. Charlie Staines has scored! The trophy is staying in Penrith. They have defended their title. 
It is one of the greatest premiership defences the game has ever seen. Well, I went searching the channels, actually, um, because I wanted to hear the sound of uh, Andrew Voss calling that uh, grand final, uh, but couldn't find it. Um, but we have got him this morning, and um, I'm so grateful for that. Of course, uh, Voss, is just um, involved with his own breakfast show with uh, Greg Alexander, who I'm not even sure turned up to work this morning. I guess he might have, uh, but he had reason to celebrate anyway. Uh, but those were the highlights of uh, one of the most one-sided performances in recent years from a Penrith side that just did not let Parramatta play uh, for the first 75 minutes of the game. Quite incredible one-sided dominant performance. It was the Battle of the West Sydney, and it turned out to be more of a massacre with blue and gold strewn all over the ground. Uh, Vossi is with us now, which we're uh, thankful for, Vossi. Uh, that was um, very, very clinical for 95% of it. Yeah, hey, Smithy. Welcome uh, to everyone listening. Uh, I, can I first of all tell you about Brandy? Brandy had warned us on Friday because he couldn't let the cat out of the bag because he was involved very heavily. If you watch the coverage last night, he ended up there mm. with Sterlow presenting the trophy. And then he, if, if Penrith won, he was going to be presenting the, the rings on stage, which he did. And he'd said that I would be going back to Penrith, win, lose or draw. So I can't guarantee I'll be on the program on Monday. But he said, but, but, he said, but I'll definitely call. I'll definitely be right. We've had people have sightings of Brandy all morning, that he's in the old Penrith gear, that he's been singing with Jimmy Barnes. No word from Brandy. Look, I can't even guarantee he'll be back on deck tomorrow. He is celebrating. He looks so happy on stage last night. He is Penrith head to toe. I know he loved his time at the Warriors, Smithy, but he's a Penrith man, and you can appreciate that. And he's very proud of his club. He's a board member, and that club has just won everything this year. Um, as for the performance itself, you know, I, I tried to come up with a hypothetical today. Pick... Pick your best grand final performances. So pick, say, Roosters of uh, 2018, where they beat Melbourne that first half, where they, what, led 22-0 at half time. Think of um, other performances, great performances. The Knights way back in 01, where they led 24-0 at half time against Parramatta. How would it stack up against Penrith last night? And, you know, it's, it was a performance of excellence. Like, it started with Moses Leota and, and James Fisher-Harris. How good were they, Smithy? Talk about mm. old-fashioned, you know, layer platform. Those forwards ran through brick walls. If you had a stuck-up a, a wall, they would have run through it. That then set the stage that when Penrith got their first try in the 12th minute through Stephen Crichton, the Parramatta Reels must have looked at each other in the end goal and thought, what the hell is this? Like, this is like no other game we've ever played. Like, <laughs> yeah, we've come here ready to play. And they're, they're already top gear. Like, they're gears above us. And it, it just continued. I can't remember a bad patch for Penrith in the game. And I know they considered two tries in the last few minutes. But that was by the by. Um, it was just an outstanding performance. I declare it this way. The best team in the competition produced the best performance of the season to win the grand final. And they have now won back-to-back. -back. And I can't see them outside the top four any time in the next five years, Smithy. They're going to be... They are the new Melbourne. They are a powerhouse, the Penrith Panthers. OK, uh, let's uh, look at the first 40 minutes in particular because um, the, you, you talked about um, Leota and Fisher-Harris as, as being key to it. But across the board, the physicality and the organisation of mm. their defence, it really just gave... Uh, yep. It just gave no one any opportunity to have a, an attacking platform for Parramatta. 
I agree. Um, execution of you know, buzzwords, buzz phrases these days about the process. Do the pro- yeah, go through the process. It was every mm. set. It was every set attention to detail. They got this bloke at fullback, Dylan Edwards. I call him the door snake because nothing gets past him. He, he he's mm. all over the place. He's reading the play and kicks what's coming. It's always like they know what's coming. Um, defensively, you know, if they had a weakness, and you would have heard in commentary, I think Joey was talking about, well, or Cooper uh, in the Fox League commentary was talking about, well, Charlie Staines can be a weakness, but there was no chance to exploit it. I thought Stephen Crichton very good last night. There were, there were, just everyone did their job. Brian Tottle, oh, outstanding. The bench, I mean, Scotty Sorensen, what an improved player Scott is. Um, and they lose, you know, Viliami kick out next year, but he, he can be a starter in any club. Scotty Sorensen, mm. um, worthy of New Zealand international honours. Spencer Lenu coming off the bench, fantastic. Appy Corusau, they start him off the bench. He, he, he's arguably the best hooker in the game. He's now a three-time premiership winner. And they're able to play a structure and, a, and a, a tactically have him coming off the bench, and it works beautifully. And then I look at the execution of their plays in attack, Smithy. Um, it was... It was sensational. The try for Sorensen from Cleary, he knew how Gutherson defends in the line. He caught them out. Sorensen scores untouched, chasing a kick in a grand final. Mm. What about that for execution? Now, I, I can't pick a hole. The only thing I don't like is their theme song. It's not my favourite theme song. <laughs> That's the only criticism I got of Penrith <laughs> on grand final day. I don't like their theme song. That's about it. <laughs> hey, look, there was an interesting comparison towards the end of the game. Um, and uh, I've, I've got to say, they were talking about that the number seven jersey yeah. for Penrith, right? Yep. Um, you, you probably heard it. Uh, I, w- I was just thinking, uh, I'd love your opinion on that, um, because you work so closely with one of the guys who was uh, mentioned. Of course, Craig Gow was also yeah. mentioned as well. But this fellow at such a young age and his ability to control a game, this Nathan Cleary. It, it is interesting because, see, I've had the pleasure of... Um, watching in my media career all of Greg Alexander's career and he he was starring so just so our listeners know um, Brandy's background at Penrith he was the Dally M rookie of the year in 1984 the next year 85 he's the Dally M player of the year so he goes from rookie to player of the year best mm-hmm. in the comp in the space of 12 months and Penrith made the finals for the first time in 1985 so they were not a heavyweight back then when Greg Alexander was a star of our game but at the same time he was in an era where we had players like Sturlow and Ricky Stewart and you know other halfbacks of the highest quality um, you know Steve Mortimer was still playing at that point I mean there were so many great halfbacks so Brandy played rep football, maybe not quite as much as he he, he certainly was capable of doing. Um, he was a sensational player, Smithy. And then we work our way through the era. Craig Gower, the 2003 halfback. Now, I, I still call Craig Gower the best schoolboy footy player ever, that I ever watched. And I've seen you know the likes of Benji and all of them come through schoolboys, David Fafita and the rest. Craig Gower is still the best I saw. And he was just tough. And he was ready to play first grade as a 16-year-old, Craig Gower. So sensational player as well. And now we get Nathan Cleary. Oh, by the way, Greg Alexander was schoolboy star as well. He was a player of the year as a schoolboy. Nathan Cleary wasn't a standout as a schoolboy. Very capable. No doubt about it. Very efficient. Organiser. But wasn't, didn't have a great step. Wasn't quick. Um... I saw I saw many better halfbacks than Nathan Cleary, and I saw him playing for St Dominic's College of Penrith in the second tier schoolboy competition here. But 
I look at all the stepping stones in his career, and I go back to his junior footy days in New Zealand. I'm sure it's played a big part. Nathan played junior footy there in New Zealand, playing against some big kids, I bet. And he had to be tough, and he had to defend. So there's one you know, block put together, a foundation stone. The fact he didn't play for an elite school necessarily, one of the sports high schools where they do rugby league as a subject, and he had to do his training on his own to become better you know, at practice. And another factor... The bloke watches every game going, and he's been around football all his life with his dad, so he's watched every game, and he's seen things close up. He's smart between the ears. He's, he's the best in the world between the ears right now, Nathan Cleary. And then he puts it with his skill set, and he's not the quickest, and he doesn't have the most prodigious step, but he's still competent at all those things. His kicking game he works on relentlessly. Um, he is the full package. Give him another couple of years and he'll be ahead of Brandy if he stays on this um, on this rise at the moment. But right at the moment, I'm still putting Brandy in front for the, his whole career versus Nathan's up to now. But I hope that answers it. It's a long road, long-winded answer, but he's a champion player and the best is still to come. I don't think... Uh, look, 28-12, and we've talked about um, some of the, um, the highlights of it, but I, I don't think in any game of rugby or rugby league I've seen, perhaps with the exception of the George Gregan tackle on Jeff Wilson all those years ago, <laughs> uh, a tackle a tackle have so much impact on a match in terms of the fans, in terms of... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've never seen a, a, a guy who was embraced by pretty much his whole team for making a tackle. I'm talking about Dylan Edwards here, folks. If you have not seen this tackle... It was the moment that Para, uh, Parramatta, for me, absolutely knew they had no price getting back. No That's price right. getting back. F- what a tackle. Minute, what a tackle. 50, 58th yeah. minute, um, that tackle is made. And uh, we, we said, I hosted a number of events going into the grand final and you know spoke about um, you know to players that had been part of big moments. And someone's always going to be part of a moment that's going to be replayed hundreds of thousands of times. And I mean that literally. The Edwards tackle, just like the Scott Sattler tackle on Todd Byrne back in 2003, will be replayed hundreds of thousands of times. It was a tackle of excellence, like a a classic uh, copybook cover tackle by Dylan Edwards on Bailey Simons and a great attacking rush by Parramatta, great adventure to get themselves in the clear and, uh, and, and, and Edwards' tackle was just perfect. And what I like most about that is that you know, that, that in this game where we have these athletes, Smithy, you know, the bigger, stronger, faster and all of this, Dylan Edwards isn't that. Yeah, you know, he's unassuming. You go up next to him. He's not, you know, he, he's not made of iron. He's, he's a relatively small player. He comes from a little country town and he's featured in the biggest moment of last night's match. I know there's big moments and all the point scoring plays, but the moment that's going to get replayed more than any other will be that tackle. And from a little bloke called Dylan Edwards. What a moment. Um, I will say the Sattler tackle's more dramatic because that's the back rower chasing down the winger and the wet and all that, and he comes from behind. But but Edwards for copybook, for technique, for just, you know, we're leading big, but we're not letting anyone get past us. It was an amazing moment. And it uh, confirmed the Clive Churchill medal for him as well. And um, he probably wasn't one of the talked about players uh, in that uh, category going into the match, but he certainly deserved it. They lose uh, Kikau, they lose uh, Kora Iso, um, the Panthers, but they won't lose much else going into next year. That's scary, as you say. 
Yeah, well, you know, they've won every grade here, Smithy. They've won um, mm. the second tier competition, the New South Wales Cup. Yesterday, they won the uh, state championship final. They beat the the premiers out of Queensland. They won the under twenty ones, which is called the Jersey Flag. They won the under nineteen comp, which is called the SG Ball. I mean, there's there's your production line of talent. Now, not all of those players from the twenty ones and the nineteens will, will will automatically turn into first grade stars, but you know you're going to get you're going to get four or five um, at at very least that are going to be knocking on the door. So, um, as I say, this they are the new Melbourne. Uh, they are going to be a powerhouse club. I believe for the next four or five years at least, and maybe beyond that. Um, and just to highlight where they've come from, they've now made the finals in seven of their last nine years. And for the last three, they've made the grand final. And for the last two, they won the comp. The previous nine years to that last nine-year period, Smithy, they only made the finals one and nine. You know, one year out of nine. So I, I almost direct this at the Warriors. It, you can turn things around. And I think it does start in your own backyard. And the Warriors, you know, talent identification, um, you know, making some big calls on players and they do have to let some go to, to keep others. And, and Penrith did that over the years. I mean, there's, you know, Cronulla won the comp with Blake scored Wade Graham and Luke Lewis. They were Penrith juniors. So they've, they've made calls over the years um, and have been criticised for it. But look where they are now. So I hope that the clubs that aren't doing so well can, can look at the Panthers and say, well, there, there is a formula for success. Um, few star, you know, a few of those young stars become stars. That certainly helps. Good coach, good confidence in your system, all buying into the one, you know, all on the same page from first grade down to your your sixteens and fifteens. That's a real secret ingredient or an ingredient for success. Both coaches uh, having uh, sons on the score sheet, uh, sheet as well with. Uh, Jacob, uh, for coming on quite late in the piece and uh, I mean, being very energetic, actually, in a side that was flagging, but um, he, he scored. Uh, um, and for, for Brad Arthur, that would be uh, a moment at, at some stage he'll be able to reflect on with a bit of pride. But uh, what next for Brad Arthur? What, what about the Eels looking forward? Mm, well, I think, you know, we use the term premiership window. I think it, it the window opened. I, I don't know whether the window remain open. So they're going to have to. They're going to have to jimmy it open for next year. They lose players. They, you know, Nia is a huge loss. Papa Lehi, massive loss. I mean, he was good again last night. What a pickup! How yeah. well, good are the Tigers going with the two players they got out of the grand final for next year? Mm. I can't see how Parramatta are possibly going to be a better side next year than they were this year. Now it still might be good enough to get them to a grand final, but I don't see how they get past Penrith. So in terms of winning a premiership. Last night, I think, was their chance, um, unless they they unearth some, some young talent coming through or they pick up some, some big signings along the way. I don't think the side last night, with the players they're losing, can achieve what the team did this year in making the grand final. So I could be, I could be proven wrong there, but I think Parramatta might be the Canberra. Canberra, who you know, made the grand final in 19 and had a shot against the Roosters. I think that's Parramatta's path. They'll still be good, but they're not going to make the grand final. That was it last night. That was their chance. Fossey, just a couple of things before I let you go, and I thank you for this uh, extended interview. Uh, the Warriors have signed a Dragons back rower Jackson Ford. Uh, what have they signed? What kind of player? 
Oh, just steady. Well, see, J- Jackson Ford has had, um, I guess you could say, limited minutes. I tell you what he is. He's a product of Gerringong, the great town, and we can tie Parramatta into it. Mick Cronin still runs the pub there in Gerringong. Beautiful on the south wow. coast of New South Wales. Um, competent, but but not not a match winner, not a, not a tackle buster, Jackson Ford. But he's had a bit of, um, you know, you'd like to think in signing someone like Jackson Ford, his best footballers ahead of him. Um, so they, they get him having come through country rugby league and first grade with the St George Illawarra Dragons. Um, I, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a very big off season for the Warriors. But what is hard is that the World Cup is on, and it's going to be the same for many clubs. I mean, how many Penrith players are going to be involved in the World Cup? Just about everyone. So it's going to be a very mm-hmm. disrupted off season preparation, and obviously some teams more need more preparation than others. Um, but that that's the challenge for new coach Webster at the Warriors: how he's going to plan that out. Uh, with so many players away. When November 1 rolls around, or the first week of November, when a lot of teams normally start their off-season training, most of their players are going to be on the other side of the world at the World Cup. That's where I'm headed, Smithy. On Wednesday week, I'm flying out to the World Cup for six weeks and can't wait. It's going to be one hell of a tournament, but then you've got to give your players a break after that. So so really, your off-season work with a lot of your players is not going to start until after Christmas, is it, Smithy? And, and we're talking about a February start. We are talking mm. about starting the first week of February with trials next year. We've got all-stars in Rotorua. So I don't think it's going to be a really limited preparation. It's going to be a test of um, how they get quality work when they won't have the quantity of time. Bossy, you're going to be calling, hopefully, uh, some New Zealand games so we can hear you. Um, and they finalised the Kiwis this morning. Uh, it looks pretty strong now that he's been able to, um, Michael Maguire's been able to uh, narrow it down to the required amount, including uh, Jared Warrior Hargraves, who uh, has made the cut, one Warrior and Dallin Wateni Zalesniak, but a whole host of uh, Eels and, uh, and Panthers in particular, um, who at uh, the top of their game, and some Melbourne, fo- Melbourne Storm boys who will be quite fresh. Well, I'll pass on this. I had um, Matty Johns on my program this morning. He does a, a Monday morning hour. His last word as he signed off, because it's his last Monday morning for the year, he said, I'm on board with New Zealand to win the World Cup. That from Matty Johns uh, this morning. So I look at the squad and, you know, I, I see pretty much all positions covered. If these blokes play at their best, I'm with Matty. I mean, it's a super semi final. Australia play New Zealand in the semi-final, you know, all things being well. But you you turn out a performance with Tarpany in the forwards, our best front rower this year. Um, you throw Joey Manu fit and healthy in the centres. You get Jerome Hughes healthy. You have James Fisher-Harris running at you. Big Nelson, um, Brandon Smith. It's a, it's a super squad. Uh, Dylan Brown, if he can bring some of his best NRL form to the world stage, look out. The Kiwis are a massive chance of knocking over Australia and then going into the final as favourites. Bossy, uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for your uh, NRL input for us. Uh, it's been great talking to you every Monday morning. Uh, have a terrific trip to the UK. I know you'll enjoy every uh, moment of it. Uh, and we look forward to hearing some of your calls coming back from there, mate. Travel safe and uh, thank you again. Yes, Smithy, working for the BBC. This is Andrew Voss signing off. Oh, very posh. Sound, sound authentic already. Well done. Uh, Andrew Voss there with us, folks, uh, with his take on uh, that uh, NRL grand final and that performance last night from the very, very worthy champions, Penrith Panthers. We've had a couple of texts coming in saying they were only that good because they were favoured by the referee. 
Uh, I didn't see that. I'm sorry, I didn't see that. Um, they, they got calls in their favour. Of course they did. Um, and, and sometimes that does tend to happen to a side that seems to be playing well. Uh, but in all honesty, uh, there was nothing that cost them any game, uh, the game last night. And anyone that thinks the referees cost, their, cost them the game or influenced the overall outcome of the match was watching a different one to me. I can promise you that. It's 11.24 here on SENZ. Uh, we shall be back uh, very shortly. Uh, we'll have a, a stump smithy, some news. And um, I, don't know, I don't even know what we'll do in the last half hour, but we'll find something. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. So the PGA is still in uh, its final stages, the Sanderson Farms Championship. This is the second event on this year's being next year's PGA, if you can work that out. Stracker is uh, 17 under playing the 18th. Hughes is 17 under playing the 16th. And Higo is 16 under playing the 17th. Not that all out. So Stracker and Hughes leading by one shot over the South African Gareth Higo, um, who has just uh, come into it as well. Um, uh, Mackenzie Hughes just hitting out of a bunker on 16 with uh, a very difficult lie as well. We shall um, invite you to play Stump Smithy very shortly. We're going to go to the news with uh, Araha. Uh, 0800 150 811 is the number. 0800 150 811 is the number. Uh, get on the blower now. Brian will take your calls and you can win 50 bucks uh, from the TAB. Uh, here's Haroa. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, let's go. Let's start the week off big here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Stumped by Smithy. $50 TAB. Bonus bet up for grabs. Uh, I've been out of the hot seat for the last couple of days. Smithy, uh, before we crack into it, how'd you go with Ricardo? Yeah, we went okay. We got it up to um, 100 bucks, and then we... Let it go. We let it go west. Unfortunately, we were knocked over uh, with a couple of experts. So that was um, a little bit disappointing, but prepared to start the new week on a, a very firm and positive note, to be perfectly honest. I'm quite confident. So who's, uh, who's our first victim this week? <laughs> first victim, I like that. Uh, fresh start. Here we go. Scott from Wellington. Come up, mate. You're in the hot seat. You're at the crease. How are you feeling? Morning, Logan. Morning, Smithy. Uh Hopeful. <laughs> Hopeful. Fair enough. Fair enough, mate. Um, if nothing else, I think uh, I think it's fair to say Parramatta were hopeful when they went yesterday as well, but never mind. Oh, f- I hope. I, I won't be as overexcited as they were, though. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Ricardo, right. I, I hope you're not listening, mate. I really hope you're not, you're not listening. You actually are pumping uh, some iron there at the gym, forgetting about those two big losses over the weekend. But, Scott, today these are your topics to choose from. We've got golf, soccer football, and the White Ferns. Uh, we'll go soccer football, please. All right, good luck. Poor lonely golf just sits there alone on the shelf. First question who is currently bottom of the Premier League table? Uh, that would be Leicester. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, Smithy, Leicester, not having a good time at the moment. They're dreadful, absolutely dreadful. They play Nottingham Forest, who are second to bottom tomorrow, in a um, bottom of the table clash. Interesting to talk to uh, Ricardo this morning. Ricardo said neither of those two sides, he believes, at the end of it, will be relegated. Boy, they have to get some points, otherwise uh, their confidence levels and their managers might go west as well. 
Yeah, that's definitely a, a prediction to keep up the sleeves for later in the season. I think, second question for you, Scott. Liverpool beat Bournemouth 9-0 earlier in the season, the fourth time that score has been recorded in the EPL. Which club has been on the receiving end of that 9-0 score twice? Southampton. Uh, Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Wow, Smithy, he is confident. Where'd you get that? Where'd you get that one from, Scott? Uh, it was somewhere somewhere in the Knowledge Bank, somewhere. <laughs> Goodness me, that's a hell of a one. That's a great result. I don't think I'd have got that. Be perfectly honest with you, mate. Well, we'll see how you go with the last question. Scott, you're two for two. $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. City and United met in this weekend's Manchester Derby. City, of course, winning that one 6-3. How many Premier League titles... Do they have between them? Oh, God. Uh, they would have 20, 20, 24. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. A man that clearly loves his Premier League football, Smithy, but uh, the confidence for Scott from Wellington there got the bit of him. There, you got a shot here at a something. 29. 29. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Minus 10, the correct answer was 19. Is that all? Is that all? Gosh, that's interesting. I would have thought there would be more than 20 at least. Wow, okay, well, that's good enough. Good enough. You can be wrong and win on this show, which is fantastic, and that's exactly (laughs) what you've done, Scott. So you start the week with 50 bucks in your TAB account. Congratulations. And um, what did you make of? Did you watch the rugby league, or would you even, would you be thinking about going to Wellington at the weekend uh, to play against uh, Hawks Bay in the uh, NPC quarterfinals? And if not, why not? Um, I'm, I'm not a rugby person, but I am a league person. I right. uh, definitely watched the final last night, and uh, yeah, I think um, uh, Penrith were just clinical. They just um, basically they. You know, they just didn't give Parramatta a chance. And, um, you know, by the time Parramatta actually had a chance to get in the game, it was well over. And, um, you know, the best, best team all season. What was it? Four losses for the whole season. I mean, you know, you can't argue with them winning that at the end of the day. I, I agree. I totally agree. And um, I just, I'll look back on it um, with respect, with, with respect for a ter- terrific grand final performance. I mean, you you have an opportunity in a grand final to put your, your best stuff forward, and they did. And um, if yours is better than the opposition, uh, I'm not saying uh, the Panthers were completely and utterly on top of their game, but uh, 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 sorry, um, the Eels, uh, they were far from it, but they weren't allowed to be. It's as simple as that. And neither was I today. So, Scott, congratulations. Uh, keep uh, just down the line. Brian will confirm that he's got your details and uh, we'll get that money to you as soon as possible. Eh? Awesome. Thank you, guys. Have a good week. Yeah, same to you, Scott. Uh, Scott from Wellington. The victor this morning. A couple of texts have come in. Um, morning, Ian. I agree with you completely. Penrith were outstanding in every respect, and the final score flattered the Eels. I can't help but wonder if the Cowboys had made it through, would it have been tighter? Maybe. Cheers, Brian. Uh, and uh, Logan, I noticed you put that in your notes as well. Uh, would the Cowboys have uh, pushed uh, the Panthers? We'll never know. We'll never know. That had to be bloody good, though. I promise you that. Uh, hey, Smithy, the Panthers were by far the better team and the first half was surgical, but the referee definitely didn't help the Eels' chances. One try should have been awarded, two from the Panthers shouldn't have, and Sevo's drop ball over the line, it could have been a lot closer, 
and that's based purely on tries. Adam, the, the defender, attacker, standing in front of Cleary, blocking him from kick pressure, and uh, Lloyd kicking a guy. Uh, that's from Paddy in Christchurch. So uh, Paddy not, well, satisfied that the right team won, but uh, perhaps not with um, the uh, the margin or uh, the uh, dominance that perhaps everyone is uh, making it out to be. So that's Paddy's perspective, which I totally appreciate. And uh, yeah, there were one or two things. Um, but it, yeah, at that point, you kind of knew, and I even think that uh, the Parramatta Eels knew it wasn't going to win them. It wasn't going to make much difference. They came; those opportunities came too late in the piece. To be fair, uh, it's coming up to eleven forty here on SENZ. Uh, we'll talk to staff before midday. Um, we might have a look at the NBL because the Breakers were in action over the weekend, and uh, Logan Swinkles had a very close eye on that. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. So the NBL uh, was over the weekend, the first round, of course, and uh, and the action were the breakers. Um, Some of the matches uh, were pretty tight. The Phoenix uh, 84-79 over last year's runners-up and the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers. Uh, The Kings is playing three champions, 106-97 over the Hawks. Uh, The result that uh, hurt us, of course, in uh, overtime was uh, Melbourne United getting up over the very brave breakers, uh, 101-97. And the Wildcats, of course, signed by our dearly beloved uh, Craig Hutchinson and SEN, uh, were triumphant, uh, 87 over the Bullets, uh, 73. So quite convincing there and uh, keeping his beady eye on the breakers' first up performance, of course, without Tom Abercrombie, uh, was our very own Logan Swinkles. What would you make of it? Uh, this Breakers team, Smithy, I mean, they didn't do too well in the NBL Blitz, but that's preseason. It, it doesn't mean anything. Now the games do mean something. And I got to say, I was heavily impressed by what I saw out of Mori Moore's uh, team last night. Taking on, you know, Melbourne United, uh, a team with stacked with talent. I mean, Chris Golding, I just can't go past that guy, and he wasn't even their top scorer. Uh, Rathan Mays got 33 points. And, of course, well coached there by Dean Vickerman, who was shouting the entire time. Anyone who had courtside seats for that match must have been deaf because between uh, Dean Vickerman and how animated uh, Modi Maor gets on the breakers bench, you probably heard a few things, probably a few things you probably shouldn't hear on TV or the radio. But, man, what a match that was. The fact that they were able to draw in real close, they stay close the whole way through. Uh, I was juggling that and looking after my door at the same time so I didn't have eyes on the game the entire time. But man, Bobby Brown Jr. sending it to overtime, that was awesome. And uh, this is what Modi and Ma'or had to say about that. You guys have progressed pretty well in terms of knowing what you want to do, how you want to go about things. But what's your read on how you handled the end of the game and handled the overtime? You had to go up, go back to the film, kind of look at a nitpicking of things. But in the growth process of a young team, which we really are, uh, end-of-game situations are kind of the cherry on the top. It takes time till you put everything together. I think we were there at the end of regulation. We made a few good plays to push it into overtime. Uh, had a few good defensive plays we've been able to convert in, uh, in overtime itself. It's okay. We'll get better from it. 
So the Breakers import Smithy, definitely impressed. Uh, Derek Parding got a double-double of 23 points and 12 rebounds. While uh, they're talking about Barry Brown Jr., he had 23 points to his name. And of course, now Smithy, the attention turns to a match that has been, let's say, about a thousand days in the making. Breakers home return to Spark Arena on Friday. I'm really looking forward to that. There's the downside of that, of course, no Tom Abercrombie, but can't wait for the big man to come back. But that is going to be huge taking on the Tasmania uh, Jack Jumpers there on Friday night. Well, actually, Tasmania are in action again, so they've had a busy start to the season. Um, they're paying uh, $1.40 tonight to uh, beat the Cairns Taipans, who are at $2.80. So that's uh, Cairns' first game in the, in the competition as such. Um, so, yeah, uh, promising signs, you're saying. Promising signs overall. Yeah, uh, quick thing there on the Cairns Taipans. Uh, a name to watch out for. We had him on the show months and months ago when his college season wrapped up. But Sam Warburton, uh, not Warburton, Wardenberg, sorry. Sam Wardenberg, that's a rugby player. Uh, Sam Wardenberg is uh, making his debut with the Cairns Taipans after finishing up his time in the NCAA. So really looking forward to seeing uh, how he goes in the competition down here. A little gutted that the breakers weren't able to convince him to come home. But he already looks so good in orange, so why not? Uh, the Kings Taipans have been a bit up and down, so a season to prove there. And of course, uh, you know when they take take on some of the teams, you know they don't look so great. But against the Jack Jumpers, we might get a good uh, read on where they're at. Okay, good. Thanks, Logan, for that uh, update. So, really promising signs. There's just so much on over the weekend. It was hard to sort of uh, put a handle on uh, anything even if you are getting old and it's raining outside and you've got nothing else to do but watch sport you just can't simply watch uh, all of it I've got to say um, having said that um, there was a good performance and um, I, I really did uh, enjoy Waikato Waikato Bay of Plenty yesterday what a comeback that was from the Mulu men they were gone gone just after with about uh, 10 minutes after half time 15 minutes after half time double blow from uh, Bay of Plenty and I thought that's it so uh, Waikato will not be hosting the quarterfinal next weekend. Well, what a comeback. What an absolute comeback. Mackenzie was very good, kicked a crucial goal at the end of it. Uh, they got great change off the bench, Waikato. Um, and Bayer Plenty just could not find an answer. They lost the player to the bin, and uh, that really hurt them uh, towards the end of the game. And uh, two late tries and a conversion meant that uh, Waikato, in front, in front of a, a pretty average crowd, I think it's fair to say, managed to triumph and all I hope is that uh, this weekend all those quarterfinal games uh, get uh, due respect from the local fans because they deserve it. Uh, it's a level of rugby that's going to produce the future for us. There'll be a lot of those guys playing in this competition which will be part of the All Black 15 uh, that will be announced I think on October the 8th. A lot of candidates there uh, going forward. Uh, some youth, um, a lot of youth involved there. Um, and some you know terrific young footballers that really do catch the eye. So, uh, and to get back to those days, those provincial days where you had so much pride in your province that you take your kids and uh, that's where you fall in love with the game, watching the good guys play. And okay, if the hot dog's six bucks, don't have a hot dog. Uh, you know, uh, if, if that's one of the reasons why um, you, you don't want to go because it damn will cost too much or it's just too hard. Um, then if everyone's got that attitude, rugby ain't looking too good. I can promise you that. We've got to get that attitude back that you actually want to turn up and you want to go to the big matches. And what's your team? The Wellington Lions, the Hawks Bay Magpies, 
bioplenty steamers, you know, uh, Northland tunny fire. What a story that is. Um, and I would imagine they're not allowed to play and uh, they weren't allowed to play in Whangarei because uh, the Rugby World Cup will have taken over their sports ground, the Women's Rugby World Cup. Um, so uh, that's why they played in Kaikohe yesterday and there were complaints by a couple of people that it looked a bit average. But, man, that's what it's coming to. If you can't fill the stadiums, because the stadiums, uh, they cost, the rent is so high, if you can't pay for the stadiums with uh, with uh, gate sales, etc., they won't go there. They will not go there. It is 11.51 and Staffy will be with us uh, shortly. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.